Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with purpose and passion. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and we have a fantastic, fun guest today, Tracy Conan. She has been investigating fraud. Now work with me. This doesn't sound fun, but it will be. She's been investigating fraud for more than 25 years, but she hasn't always wanted to be a forensic accountant. She had a dream of being a prison warden. True story. Uh, She went to Marquette University in Milwaukee to get a criminology degree and a class on financial crime investigations reminded her how much she loved Encyclopedia Brown books as a kid, and she continued her criminology degree but added accounting and economics courses so she could sit for her CPA exam. And now she's finding money in cases of corporate fraud, high net worth divorce, and other financial shenanigans. And there's nothing I enjoy more than shenanigans. Tracy, welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate. Thank you for having me, Eric. That was a fabulous introduction, but now you've set the stage. Now I feel like I have to be interesting and exciting. Well, listen, that's the only way we do things on this show. Uh, I I want this to be fun. I want it to be lively. And when you think about um, a guest coming on to talk about divorce, um, your your immediate reaction is, oh, no. Like, do I really want to listen to that? And yet, I know you've got some interesting stories, and I know we can talk about financial infidelity, which is uh, only one kind of infidelity that sometimes leads to the big D. But nonetheless, um, tell, tell us a little bit about you. And certainly we know about your academic background, but the things that got you excited about what you do. And then we can dive into some maybe some stories. Forensic accounting in general is exciting to me because it's putting a puzzle together. You know, it's taking the numbers, sorting things out. I, of course, like to be the expert, but I like to give clarity to people and help them unravel something and figure it out. And so I always tell people as a forensic accountant, I find money. So that involves, you know, tracing funds through bank accounts and investment accounts to figure out where it went. In the context of divorce, we have spouses who are concerned about what their spouse has been doing with the money. Where has the money been going? Is there a secret account somewhere? Has there been an affair partner? Is there other spending that I don't know about, wouldn't approve of? And how do I get what I should be getting financially in the divorce? So it might not sound exciting to other people, but to me, it is exciting to help bring clarity to that. Well, finding the money does sound exciting. I channel my my inner Jerry Maguire with Find Me the Money, and I, we're going to talk about that too. But, um, you know, is this something, just first and foremost, I have to ask, is this something that you see more one gender or the other doing, or are the shenanigans a two-way street and it's an equal opportunity shenanigan? There is certainly equal opportunity to do shenanigans, and men and women are both guilty of it. In my practice, however, I work more often with women and I find that women are more often the ones in need of services and support because even though we've come a long way with things, it is still overwhelmingly the men who are in charge of the money in the marriage. And what I'm finding is that women are being hands off with the money. We trust our spouses, we divide duties in the marriage, and so, I might drop the kids off at school, you might mow the lawn. I might pick up the dry cleaning, you might be responsible for our budget. And we kind of each do our own thing. So 
the wife is, you know, remaining hands off with the money. And then if God forbid they get divorced, she's saying, oh my goodness, I have no idea what he's been doing with the money. There are only two ways a marriage can end. Literally, there are only two ways. Um, there's Divorce death and death. And there's divorce. Uh, I'm not sure which one's worse. I, I've been through one and not the other. Uh, I'll let you decide which one I've been through. Um, but but I've been through one and not the other. And it is it is horrible actually when a when a marriage ends. It's it's it, it even under amicable circumstances. It's difficult. It's painful, especially if there are children. And a lot of it doesn't revolve around the assets, though certainly it's a, that plays a role, and the income, especially in a single uh, a single earner household where that becomes a, a hot potato. But if if I'm not mistaken, in our world as financial advisors, what we see is close to seventy five percent of the women in marriages are actually handling most of the day to day finances. So. Uh, and I'm not suggesting shenanigans aren't possible. Of course they are. Um, in fact, there have been situations where one spouse or another has had an account and has not shared that transparently. Um, but generally speaking, uh, I tend to find that the, the the wives are paying most of the bills and handling most of the day to day, um, whether they're working or not. And I think that's I a shift from from years ago. Well, and it's a shift from what I'm seeing. And so I'm wondering if, first of all, my experience is skewed because I'm really having contact with the people who um, are feeling victimized. And, Got you know, it. that's not a Got fair it. sampling. But I also wonder if your experience isn't skewed as well because the type of clients that you attract are maybe more likely to be women and more likely to be very financially savvy. Thus, they are taking control of the money in the families. And so I don't know that either of our experience is necessarily representative of society, but I will tell you that the research out there tells me that women are less likely to be in charge of the money in the families. Interesting. And maybe that is one of the things that that differentiates our, our firm and what we do in that we do insist that both spouses are involved in these conversations and, and that there is transparency and knowledge and sharing. And, um, and, and just in my own household, and I'm, I'm not here for divorce advice, heaven forbid, um, but in my own household, um, my wife doesn't want anything to do with the finances. In fact, I will periodically say, would you like to sit down and go through this? We, we have our own financial advisor. One of my, my partners here in the firm does our financial advising because I think a second set of eyes is good for anyone. She has no interest at all. Like literally just says, just tell me I'm going to be okay and who to call if something goes wrong with you. And, and that's it. And so is that a sign of just a healthy marriage and a healthy partnership? And that's great. Or is that abdicating responsibility and setting herself up for, if I was nefarious, it would be easy to take advantage of. Like what is your advice to someone like my wife? And, and yes, we'll take free advice now where she she literally has no interest at all and just wants to know, number one, she's okay, no matter what happens to me. And number two, she knows who to call if the worst happens. Well, I think that it's fabulous that she trusts you to that level. I also think it's very dangerous. I talk mm -hmm. to people about going into marriage and protecting themselves financially. And by turning a blind eye to the finances, you're really not protecting yourself. I would advise her 
to have a monthly check-in with you about the finances. In advance of that monthly check-in, I would have her look at your bank statements, your investment account statements, and your credit card statements. Just give them a glance, literally five minutes or less, just so she can be familiar with what's been going on. And also to keep you honest, if you know she's looking and you can't get one by her, that'll keep you honest. So five minutes to look at the statements and a five to 10 minute check-in with you once a month where you guys talk about you know, that car that we're planning on getting next year, here's where we are on our savings goals. Or budget was pretty normal this week, but I have to let you know the heating bill was out of control. By meeting regularly, it takes a lot of the pressure off the money conversations. If you have one big Mm -hmm. money conversation a year, it's a huge deal, there's a lot of anxiety. But if you're meeting Mm -hmm. weekly or monthly and it becomes routine, there's so much less pressure around it. That's what I'd recommend her to do. It's funny because that would be kind of fun for me, actually, to have that kind of dialogue because I I love this stuff. This is what I do for a living. I find it fascinating. I enjoy it. Um, I think she'd rather get a monthly root canal than do that. And I'm delighted to offer. In fact, now I have to because now you're you're keeping me honest with, with our whole audience. And I'm happy to do it. I just don't think she'll do it. I think she'll say, thank you, but I would I would rather do anything else. And um, and I, I don't think she's alone. I think there's a fair amount of that where the divide and conquer routine between two partners, whether it's marriage, whether it's marriage, whether it's domestic partnerships, whether it's any any two people who are, who are living together, I, I think there's a tendency to divide and conquer a little bit. And money is something that uh, there's a great disadvantage to being the spouse who's not aware of what's coming and going and how it works. It's an can enormous I, disadvantage. Can I be your therapist right now? I mean, I always accept therapy. Just don't send me an invoice. What's stopping you from insisting that you do something like this? Uh, ins- I don't insist on anything. Just I, okay. I, in, keep, so, in keeping the peace, I'm not one of those people who says it's going to be this way. And this is, I always offer there, there's, it, it is available 24 seven. Like I'm delighted to have this conversation. And if, right? if she were to approach me this afternoon and say, Hey, can we look at some stuff? The answer would be absolutely. I can't wait. First of all, I can't wait to share it with her because the news is really good. But nonetheless, if, you know, I, I think for some couples, for some couples where there's a spending issue or a debt issue or, or there's some shame and embarrassment around money a lot of times, um, or, or there's help going to one of your grown kids and you don't want your spouse to know that you're helping to that extent. I mean, there's some of those things that aren't nefarious divorce you know, type of, of events, but they are, um, they are often not shared. Um, I, I don't think I can insist on this. I think I can say, I'm delighted. Let's do it. Let's sit down. Would you like to, sh- would you like to see it? I know she's going to say, no, thank you. And she might not even say thank you. She might just say, absolutely not. I personally think that there's a way to reframe it. If this is okay. something that you need to have happen to feel good about the money in your marriage, that's a different way of framing it. So it's not about her. It's about, I need this to feel okay with it. I'm not sleeping well at night knowing that if I passed away tomorrow, you wouldn't even know where our money is. Yes, we have people to call who will help you, and I'm happy Mm -hmm. that that's set up for you, but I don't sleep well at night knowing that you wouldn't know where to begin with the finances. Okay. No, that's that's true. That's entirely true. Um, 
and I, I will give this a whirl. And next time I see you, which I think is going to be in Louisiana later this year, I will tell you all about how it went. How's that? I would, I would like hearing about that. Absolutely. Okay. No, listen, I, I, I'm going to give it a whirl um, and we'll see what happens. I'm going to try and reframe this. So let's talk about red flags. Let's talk about the things that maybe you see your spouse or significant other doing um, that should cause one eyebrow to go up. Right. What, what are those kinds of things, particularly if financial infidelity? I mean, certainly there's lots of flags of other kinds of infidelity, but let's talk about the financial piece. What are some of the things that should cause anyone to take a pause and go, hmm, I want to look at that again? Financial infidelity is any dishonesty about the money, lying about what you're spending, being secretive about your spending, violating agreements that you and your spouse have about money, things like that. There is literally a laundry list of red flags that I could go through. But if we talk about some of the most common signs that should cause someone mm -hmm. to say, is financial infidelity happening in my marriage? It would include things like becoming more secretive about money issues that might be spending secretly. You know, you find a charge on the credit card for something weird that your spouse never told you about or uh, terribly expensive that your spouse never told you about. Um, mm -hmm. becoming more controlling over the finances. Um, mm -hmm. And that might be, you know, controlling what your spouse is allowed to spend or questioning them heavily about what they spent, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Things like just changes in behavior, especially if it involves becoming more secretive about behavior, maybe more secretive of one's whereabouts, more protective of the phone. Um, and, and some of these things are heavily related to um, having affairs, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's not. Sometimes it might be related to something else like gambling or drugs or pornography addiction or buying a secret piece of real estate that you're not telling your spouse about because you're thinking divorce is on the horizon and I want to make sure that he or she doesn't get a piece of that real estate. Interesting. And you're seeing all of these kinds of things and you get to be the detective. You get to do the forensic uh, evaluation. And, and what does that involve? What, it, I don't, I don't want to get a forensic accounting degree in the next eight minutes or so, but I, what I would like to do is understand what that means and the kinds of things that you do um, on a on a case by case basis, of course, but to to find the money, what are the things that you do, and more importantly, maybe what are the things that that the average Joe who maybe isn't a forensic accountant can do to sort of begin that process on our own? You're speaking my language, Eric. To do the process on All your right. own is so important. Yeah. But as a forensic accountant, it's I'm tracing money through accounts. So I'm literally looking at every transaction on a bank statement, on a credit card statement, investment account statement, and figuring out where did that money go? What was it spent on? The vast majority of the transactions that I'm going to look at in your bank account are going to be pretty straightforward. You paid the mortgage, you made a car payment, you went grocery shopping, all of those kinds of things. So what catches my eye are the unusual transactions, a cash withdrawal of $10,000 from your bank account, mm. um, a mm -hmm. period of time when, you know, I maybe saw that you and your spouse typically visited an ATM and took out a few hundred bucks cash once a month, just for some little bit of money in your pocket to walk around with. And now all of a sudden, Eric, I see you going to an ATM personally and taking out 500 bucks at a time, three times a week and doing this week after week after week. That's a change in behavior that is suspicious to me. 
or mm-hmm. potentially transferring money to a bank account that your spouse didn't know you had. Those are the mm-hmm. kinds of things I'm keying in on to see if there's missing money. But as an individual who's not a forensic accountant, what could you do? I teach some really, really easy techniques in the divorce money guide. I call it do-it-yourself forensic accounting, but you don't have to be a forensic accountant. You don't even have to be good with numbers. Here's a great example. I tell you, go ahead and get 12 months of bank statements for your main account and take a greed highlighter and go through those bank statements and highlight every paycheck that you see being deposited to your account. Most people get paid 24 or 26 times a month count up those deposits and see how many there are. If you see that there were 20 paychecks deposited over the last year, Houston, you have a problem. Or if you see these paychecks suddenly decrease in the amount where maybe part of the paycheck is being siphoned off somewhere. Super easy and you don't have to have any special forensic accounting knowledge to count up how many paychecks there were, do you? No, no, generally not. That's arithmetic and that we can all generally do. Um, Now, what about folks who have significant cash transactions, people who are um, in the tipped economy, perhaps, or or folks in whatever whatever line of work where there's going to be cash transactions where it might not be quite as easy to track? You know, the folks with the safe with cash at home kind of thing. Um, Are you taking inventory in there? Are you having folks, you know, make sure they have access to that regularly? What about those kinds of situations? Cash transactions are really hard. If you are going through a divorce and you're trying to prove how much your spouse is making and they're receiving cash, either legitimately because they have a tipped kind of job or illegitimately because they're receiving cash under the table instead of a paycheck, it really is a problem uh, for the divorce situation. If there is a stash of cash at home, I do certainly recommend that the spouse take that inventory on a regular basis. Yes, literally go and count that cash that's in that safe or under that mattress and you know, keep track of, keep, make a list for yourself with dates and how much you verified was there. But ultimately, if that cash disappears into thin air, good luck trying to, getting it, trying to get it back. So that's, that, therein lies one of the challenges, certainly, to do accounting where there aren't records. Um, is incredibly difficult. Now, I guess one could figure out when the, when new things show up, if a car shows up at home and there was no transaction for it, um, that would be sort of an obvious event. But some of it's got to be a lot less obvious. There has to be um, there have to be folks who are who are keeping that from spouses. Um, how do you how do you suggest? And and this will be fun because I have kind of a strong opinion on the subject. But how do you suggest married people title their bank accounts? Ooh, I talk about this uh, in one of my products. You know, I give people three options. You can keep your money completely separate. You can combine it all, or you can do a little bit of each where you have some money combined in a joint account and you have some in separate accounts. Honestly, I think that last option is the most advisable um, because I think it's important for each spouse to have money of their own that is safe, is only in their name, only accessible to them. Now, I don't advise that that is a secret account, that that is secret Mm -hmm. money, but it's just separate money. Interesting. You know, we normally encourage married couples to have their bank accounts titled jointly, but to have each spouse be the primary account holder on one of the two accounts. So that essentially you're the only one with the ATM card on that account. Each spouse has their own. 
there's a statement separate for the accounts, but they're titled jointly in the event you need to transfer money between accounts easily, or there's there's some other need, or somebody somebody dies and it's immediately yours. I know you can do that with a beneficiary designation. Uh, it's interesting that you're suggesting that there be some individual accounts. Um, we certainly see that, and and that more or less is a comfort level for for folks. You know, the the old joke that what's hers is hers and what's mine is hers um, sometimes does apply. I get that, but they're also we we've worked with lots of couples where, particularly the non-working spouse, wants to have an account in his or her name, and I, I'm sure it has to do with access and safety. It must. Well, certainly I'm jaded given all the divorce work that I do, but I can't tell you how often I see scenarios where a married couple has all of their money together in a joint account. They decide they're going to separate and get divorced. And, you know, both of them are looking at the bank account saying, okay, we've got, you know, $25,000 sitting in the account. Good. Bills are going to be paid for a period of time. And two days later, one spouse cleans out that account and the non-working spouse mm. is left with nothing. Now, they can go to court. They can get a court order eventually to have funds returned to them. But in the meantime, how do they eat? How do they pay for an apartment if they're the one who has to move out of the house? Things like this. So having that separate account that only you can access can be very, very important, especially in those scenarios where divorce is a potential. Interesting. All right. Well, that's not the most uplifting thing I've heard today, but it, it is logical and it certainly makes sense. If, if you get the sense that your spouse is hiding money from you, either because of the red flags, the, the paychecks that are missing or, or things like that, or if you're just questioning um, if you have full transparency, what do you do? What is the first is the first step to talk to your spouse and say, hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable with this? Or if oh, gosh, you're really no. uncomfortable, do you know, right? So because that's going to raise the that's going to raise DEFCON there too, right? So if you're really feeling right. this is a possibility, you don't want to say anything because then that'll just ratchet up the secrecy, right? So what right. do you do? What do you do? Well, I've got I've got two things you can do because you're listening to this podcast and hearing me. You can go to my website fraudcoach.com, and at the very top of the page, there is a link to a red flag assessment. It's 15 questions. It'll take you about three or four minutes to go through these questions. And I ask you things about, um, you know, how do you and your spouse manage the money in your household and the ways that you have things set up? And then I'll ask you some questions about what kinds of things have you seen in your marriage? And some of those are those red flag types of things. Have you seen certain secrecy? Uh, did you one day find out that there was a bank account you never knew anything about? Things like this. You get through the 15 questions and you will have returned to you a result of how likely it is that there is financial fraud in your marriage. And so I found that that assessment was really, really important because when you're in your marriage and in your situation, it's really hard to know, should I be worried or not? I find that people either really minimize what's going on and make mm -hmm. excuses for their spouse or they panic immediately. They see one thing and they panic and they go, you know, way far to the other end of the spectrum. And so this to me was an objective way to assess what was going on financially. Does that create an email report of some kind that then might also be seen by a spouse? If you're really trying, I guess you have to use a, a separate email account and now you're, you're, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think like this. Like I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, 
accustomed to thinking about ways to hide things necessarily, but if you were going to do that, you certainly wouldn't want it in some kind of shared email address or on some text message that somebody's going to see. It would have to be in a separate email address. So now, now I feel like we're coaching our audience on how to keep things from each other. But it, at the end of the day, if you're doing a fraud assessment, it's because you want that to be a private assessment. So right. how do you how do you navigate that? How do you how how do you maintain the trust for your spouse that that all of us hopefully have, particularly entering a marriage, but hopefully during a marriage? and still feel okay sort of poking that bear a little bit with an assessment like that? The first step of the divorce money guide is preparing for a potential divorce. And one of the first things I talk about is getting a brand new email address that your spouse doesn't know about that you could use for purposes of communicating with a divorce attorney if you end up going that route. And so, yes, I do think if you have concerns Right. If you mm-hmm. have concerns that rise to the level of you're going to the internet and Googling things like financial infidelity, spouse hiding money, things like that, you do mm-hmm. have some problems that you need to take seriously. So creating mm-hmm. an email address that is super private today is very, very important. So I wanted to get back to the practical steps when you ask what's the first thing you should do when you have the concerns. One of Okay, good, because I'm coming back to this email, email thing. Okay. Yes. I'm coming back to this email thing. Okay. But the next step no, no. is gathering information. So it, it's about starting to gather bank statements for the accounts that your name is on that you have legal access mm-hmm. to. It's about running a credit report on yourself mm-hmm. to find out what debts are out there connected to your name. That's mm-hmm. really the first p- place that I tell people to go. It, the place of start gathering information. Don't say anything to your spouse yet that you have suspicions. Don't start asking questions just yet. Would you consider a credit freeze just as a general course of, uh, not necessarily to create a red flag, but to just protect yourself anyway. It's not a terrible thing to do anyway. But if you're at that point where you're a little concerned, not only to pull that report, but also to freeze your credit so nothing new can be added, would that be something you'd consider too? I would consider that too, but don't get overly confident in that because the accounts that are already open can still be Mm. used even if you have the credit freeze. So the credit freeze stops someone from being able to take new accounts in your name, but it doesn't stop them from using the accounts that currently exist. Got it. So let's talk about this email address. If yes. you're creating a separate private email address that you're not telling your spouse about, isn't that its own form of infidelity? Absolutely I mean, not. aren't we? I, un- really? Unless you oh, no, promised. No, no, no. Did you promise your spouse I will never create a new email address? I don't <laughs> well, think no. you probably promised that. No, but if you're doing it specifically so that you can sort of look these kinds of things up, that that feels I don't know it, it it feels a little bit uncomfortable to me the idea and I don't know if my wife has accounts I don't know about and frankly it's fine if she does because our situation I'm comfortable with but if if there were if there were friction and that was a, an action taken and I discovered that action or vice versa I think that would feel like a shot across the bow no I think it depends on the intent. If you were creating a separate email address so you could carry on an affair with someone, that feels bad to me. If you're creating a separate email address so that you can communicate privately, gather information, and protect yourself financially because you think that a divorce is potential, I don't have any problem with it. Okay, interesting. No, I'm, I'm. Thank you for the the clarification and the dichotomy. That is a. Uh, it it this this whole thing fascinates me. Um, 
because I, I did go through a divorce. I got divorced on my 28th birthday. True story. Oh, wow. On my 28th birthday, I got divorced and we came up with a property settlement that was very simple. I offered her everything and she took it. And that way there was nothing to fight about. It's God's honest truth. And it was because I wanted conflict to be nil. I wanted this to go as well as it could so we sure. could get on with our lives. We were young people. Uh, we didn't have children together. There was no, so, so it was, it was almost, I won't say it was easy because it was painful. It was really hard, but it was easier than it would have been had we been um, intertwined forever by virtue of kids or grandkids or other kinds of things. That That's a much, much heavier lift. So it wasn't uh, I, easy, but the divorce was simple, right? There's a yes, difference. It was yes, simple, no, that's not true. Easy. That's true. That's true. And and ultimately, you know, I'm extremely empathetic for people going through divorces, especially especially when they're um, when they're not um, amicable, when they're when they're truly acrimonious. It's ugly. Oh my gosh! And everyone loses, and the amount of money spent. Oh my goodness, on fighting each other in court over who gets 50% versus 52% custody and all this kind of stuff. The lawyers make a fortune. And I think everybody gets hurt and the kids get hurt. And so uh, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of divorce. I also understand that life happens and it is something that, that people have to deal with in their lives as adult humans. So um, I, I, this has been fascinating. I, I would love to spend more time with you because I, I find the, the, inflection point here of divorce and money or the the uh, the inflection point it's just fascinating to me so this has been fun well, I, I have to ask you i gotta ask you a couple of questions though because you're not getting off this show without asking the with, without answering the tough ones and then i'll let you tell everybody how to find your stuff deal okay deal all right tracy i i've known you for less than a year i but i, I think you're basically a grown-up um so i have to ask you what you want to be when you grow up, what's the next chapter for you? I want to be a travel blogger. That's right. Nice. I want to travel the world, write about my adventures, and then have, you know, these fancy luxury brands sponsor mm -hmm. me at their properties, come to our property, blog, and be a social media influencer. That's, if I ever grow up, that's what I'd like to do. Why not start immediately? Because I'm too busy helping people navigate their divorces and get every penny that they deserve. Okay, I guess that's good. Although if this is really a life's, a life's dream, start soon. Don't wait. You know, none of us are promised tomorrow. So if that's something you really want to do, true. don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job. But man, if that's really what you want to do, create the presence now and maybe start taking those vacations. And you never, TripAdvisor in and of itself is a fascinating thing because I have built enough of an audience on TripAdvisor that hotels know when I'm coming and look forward Stop to me it. being there, thankfully. No, I'm serious. TripAdvisor. I don't I don't blog whatsoever. But I've had hotels say, We're so glad you're here. Here's my card. If you if you would say something nice about us, that'd be great. And here's a room upgrade or here's some adult beverages and snacks in your room. Just from TripAdvisor. So you're living my dream by accident, basically. I, I, w I wouldn't say I'm living your dream. I would say that I've experienced a, a small taste of what you're thinking about. And I think it's an awesome, awesome thing to do when you grow up. I might even join you. I mean, not literally. That's weird for both of our spouses. But I might also be a travel blogger and we could have competing blogs. You never know. Ooh, I love healthy competition. I like a blog off. We should definitely consider nice. that. Nice. All right, last question. 
we need an extra credit assignment. We need the one takeaway folks can use from having spent what I have enjoyed uh, this half hour with you. What, what, what can folks do? What is the, the one step that people listening or watching should take um, today as an extra credit assignment, not homework? Permission to give two extra credit assignments, sir. Wow, you're really, you're really overdoing it, but all right, if they're good, if they're, they're really, really good, good, because I don't want to overwhelm because next week we're going to have another assignment. So, all right, go ahead. Well, Let's see. There's two of them. So, but, it, so, but it's a pick one, right? This is a, this is a pick, pick your favorite. It doesn't have to be all of the above. No, it's all of the above. Well, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Right. Pick your favorite. Pick your favorite. Okay. So all right, let's, let's if, do it. If what I talked about today regarding financial infidelity resonated with you, if you have some concerns, if there's that pit in your stomach, go to fraudcoach.com, take that red flag assessment that's linked at the top of the page and just see where you stand. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it can help ease your concerns or it can mm -hmm. help let you know you really do need to take some action steps. And, and I'll give you some action steps in the results that you get from that. So that's your first extra credit. Your sex, second extra credit is to go buy my book at the end of April when it comes out. It's called Find Me the Money. And it is all about winning the money that you deserve in your divorce. Well, I appreciate the two extra credit assignments. You stole my thunder. I was going to tee up the book at the end here, but you've already done it. So find me the money. I love it. Um, I will absolutely want a copy. I will want a signed copy, of course. Um, and, and I will be glad to review it online if, uh, if, if so. Um, so folks can check you out at fraudcoach.com. They can find me the money, the new book coming out at the end of April. So very, very soon. Um, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for sharing not only your wisdom, but your, your humor um, with our audience. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I appreciate you letting me invite myself onto your podcast. It was great fun. Can I leave <laughs> you with a fun story? Absolutely. So find me the money is you uh, figured out in our conversation before we went live is a little bit of a play on show me the money from Jerry McGuire. Mm -hmm. And I've been working really hard on this book. You know, of course, we're preparing for it to come out. We recently finalized that cover that you saw. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in an airport standing in the security line and three people behind me was Cuba Gooding Jr. No kidding. And no kidding. I mean, the timing is just unreal. Now, here's the deal. He uh, was with someone who I assume is a business manager or something like that. And they were beside themselves because they were in danger of missing their flight. And so I had the good sense to look at them, smile calmly and look away and not ask him to shoot a video with me saying, mm. show me the money. Yeah. Well, hopefully he hears this show. I'm sure he's a big fan and will remember you from that. What, which airport was it? I was in Miami. I, Cuba Gooding Jr. If you're out there, please, you owe Tracy a solid. We'll go with it that way. Thank well, and you he's for being a, he's here. one of your biggest fans. Thank you for having I'm, me. It was so much fun. <laughs> I'd like to thank all of you for listening and watching today. This has been a ton of fun. We'd love to hear from you. So please send us a message or leave us comments at don'tretiregraduate.com or on social media. If you enjoy our show, don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends and family so they can join you on your journey to financial freedom. And please leave ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast platforms. They are priceless to us. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. 
likely with only one extra credit assignment. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. Don't Retire, Graduate is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.